Welcome back, Wanderer, to the corner of story and game. Today we have the pleasure of delving into the dynamic world of cross-platform narratives and multimedia execution with our esteemed guest, Ryan Omega. With a diverse background as a show and event host, producer, interactive game designer, and experienced game master, Ryan brings a wealth of creativity and expertise to our discussion. So join us as we explore the art of crafting narratives that transcend traditional boundaries and resonate across platforms. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for sitting down and talking with me. Well, thank you, Gerald. Thank you for having me. And I did admit that for a while when you did contact me and like, ah, you must have gotten that note about, ah, dead presidents have uh, come to contact you about games. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I wonder how many other American guests have been like, why is a dead president contacting me? There were too polite. Yeah, like I understand you're Canadian, so they want to respect the politeness. There you go. <laughs> they want honorary Canadianship. I would not object to honorary Canadianship. You all people are hot. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan. Come on, we just started. Don't hit on me yet. Ah, uh, you know, it's not the end of the interview. Watch how many times I'll hit on you. Thanks. I cannot <laughs> wait. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, before we dive into this. I like to start with a little bit of a grounding with a history, um, just kind of how you fell in love with games, how you got in here, your journey so far, your origin story. My origin story. So um, it's my mom's fault. No. Oh. And uh, so I have my mom to love and blame for this. So when I was four, my mom got an Atari 800 for her. It involved a couple of cartridges, basic because she wanted to learn basic programming. So we're talking about old school computers and Centipede and one other game I think was Donkey Kong. Now, she got these games for her. It just so happened that as a four-year-old, I was also interested in playing these games and it just turned out to be the perfect babysitting tool. So I had access to ported computer games, including ported Miss Pac-Man, ported other games through the Atari 800 um, as a young kid. So my introduction into technology was really, really young. And at the same time, my mom would go to thrift stores. And every time I went to a thrift store, I always bought board games, just different board games. Like you have your Monopoly, your Payday, but you also had your other high and high minded games like Choir. Mm -hmm. And also, I remember getting just random games like the Miss America beauty pageant board game. And because I was not allowed to go out, because I didn't realize that the neighborhood that I was in wasn't entirely safe, uh, I played all four parts of a board game whenever it was four player games. And I would pretend to have a different strategy Keep in mind, it was six or seven when I did this. Right. Uh, just playing board games by myself, and I keep keep myself entertained doing that. Then, when I got bored of my board games, I would take different boards and different pieces and make my own games and rules. And that's what I would do when I was bored and by myself. And I was a weird little kid for doing that, but the end result is I ended up thinking of just different strategies just because I had to pretend to be different people and ignore whatever the other strategy was in order to play these games by myself. And you were basically deconstructing mechanics at like preteen, <laughs> like you're pulling yeah. apart the mechanics and rebuilding your own games kind of. That's a crazy. Man. Of boredom. Wow. Okay. So I would also lose parts <laughs> because of just doing this so often and unfortunately, there was a point where my mom says, okay, you have to, if you can't salvage these games or clean them up, we have to toss them out. I'm like, no, and I can't remember where all of the games went. And so eventually I had to lose some of those games. Um, and then I would just end up buying more games at the thrift store. It was just a bad addiction. <laughs> no, 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 not a bad addiction. That's a fantastic. So after, as you got older and got into school and stuff, how did that influence your, your path there? Where did you take it from there? How did you get from there to here kind of thing? So in 
UC Berkeley, I was the head of my anime club, or like the editor-in-chief of my anime club. And one of my friends, Sarah, who was a member of the anime club, went to the local convention, KublaCon, mm-hmm. and she said that she did LARPing. And we all went, you mean the thing that the kids do to pretend to be vampires? That lame thing? Why, why would you do that? And so, of course, this was back in the time when a lot of geekdom was stratified because geeks apparently could not enjoy multiple things. Mm-hmm. You were, and that stratification was a comic book nerd, sci-fi nerd, uh, D&D. Under that was LARPs, and under that was furries. It was just, there was that stratification. Those things somehow did not mix. Then Sarah came to the anime club, and we were all shocked. She came in this beautiful PVC dress. The first thing we all noticed was, oh my God, you have boobs. We didn't know. She wore these flannels, and she was just shy. And then somehow, the way she stood was more confident. Everyone was paying attention a lot more. I mean, of course, she had boobs, but it was also... The way she spoke and dealt with people was suddenly getting everyone's attention. And I was wondering, how do I how do I become that? And that's when she recruited me into LARP. Hmm. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to dress up. So I went overboard, decided I was going to wear a tuxedo and tails. I was going to be a servant to an elder vampire. And... The very first game, the rival city of San Francisco decided that they were going to kidnap the elder Ventru Prince's ghoul, because that's what I was playing, in mm-hmm. Oakland, and abscond with him to piss off that elder Ventru. So my very first game of LARP was getting kidnapped by a whole group, and I thought, I want to play this more. And I have been playing since 2000. Not that game, but LARPs in general. Very cool, man. That is so cool. Okay, so obviously your experience includes, from there you've moved into designing interactive experiences for live action games and tabletop games. So let's dig into some of the craft stuff here. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's start off easy. How do you adapt narratives to suit different mediums while still engaging the player, still maintaining coherence? So it kind of depends on the medium. So if I'm running a small group, like a tabletop RPG, I'm weirdly concerned about what my players are doing when they're not in the spotlight because it's so easy to turn off when the focus is not on you. So I did this super unusual thing of having my non-active players play random NPCs in my game. So whether it's a random shopkeep, a blacksmith, a tavern owner... You know, I could win those interactions. I just thought it was more interesting. Okay, you who is not playing right now, I need you to be the tavern owner. And it allows them to take a break and play something else. And they enjoy it a lot. And then now everyone is now paying attention, whether they're in the scene or not, because now they're thinking, how would I play this? But also they're now getting information that they're partly responsible for. It also informs me what the group wants to do and where they're having the most fun. So if you give them a hint of agency, even if it's asking, what color is this door? And the door is red. It keeps people involved. And it's not just they're waiting their turn. Um, Now, if I'm running a game that's 100 people or more, and I say this because one of my jobs is I am a corporate team builder that hosts and MCs for corporations. So I've done that for Amazon, for Google. I do fly across the country to run these events. And in a case like this, your basic rules need to be simple to explain to a group. And there is an actual method that I've been taught called noise. I don't, have you heard of this method at all? I have not. No, please share. So the noise method of explaining a game to a large group of people is noise. And that is an acronym. So N- Name of the game. Today, we are playing a scavenger hunt. O, objective. So, your objective is to get the most points at the end of two hours. 
AI instructions. We are going to be downloading an app and you are going to be playing this game through your phone. Now, keep in mind that you're not trying to accomplish everything the fastest. You will not be able to accomplish all of the things, but different tasks have different points. At the end of the two hours, we'll figure out who's the winner. S, safety. Now, keep in mind that we are playing outside. Please don't violate any traffic laws. We don't have the insurance. E, example. All right, just so that everyone uh, knows how to play, we're all going to go through this login and we're going to try a few different tasks. Mm -hmm. Once we do a few different tasks through your phone, you now know how to input all of your tasks for your scavenger hunt, and then we will begin playing. So, noise. Oh, very cool. That brings up all kinds of questions in my brain. Like, um, for instance, those corporate groups, I got the feeling they're probably not right into, you know, vampire or, or mage or changeling LARPs right off the bat. What kind of stuff are you running for those kind of high-end corporate groups? So, usually, they're looking for an activity that allows people to get to know one another. So one another. So usually we'll get people who are coming to a central conference. They might be flying in from all over the world. This was very popular post-pandemic when people had to come in and learn to socialize again because that was a huge thing. People forgot how to socialize. So my job was to ensure that I could run an activity that allowed people to get to reconnect and know each other. And often a game was a perfect icebreaker before they started to do business because you might have been interacting with people via Zoom, via email and all of these things, but it becomes a very different interaction once you are meeting people physically. And it becomes easier when you're all uh, on level footing by playing a game together. It forms a little bit of a bond Mm -hmm. and something that is enjoyable for them to do. And these things are important uh, services when it comes to helping corporations have workforces work together because the way people interact in a game is how people interact at work. Very cool. Are you, you're familiar with the sacred circle theory where... When you enter into a game, you're setting aside social conventions. You're agreeing to a set of rules that apply within the circle. And that's why we all become equals. I think that would probably apply in that situation. It perfectly applies in this situation because there is an inherent level of trust that is required for you to come together and play a game. So when you're running one of those, we'll get back on track in a second, I promise. Yeah, no when worries. When you're running one of those, obviously you are the guy running it. You're you're smooth. You know what you're doing. You sound great. That's this is what you do. I'm curious. Do you also create the gamified experiences? Are you making mechanics, writing storylines? So for the most part, we have a prepackage that is often sold uh, to um, different corporations. However, it is then up to me as a game runner and host to figure out tone. And what needs to be adjusted. So some things that I have to consider, for example, uh, what have these people interacted before? Um, are these people already working as a team? Um, are, you know, have they met each other only virtually and not physically? Um, what are they doing before they come into this game? And what are they doing after? Is alcohol involved? <laughs> It's a legitimate thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what is the group that is playing? Because I have to tailor it if it's a group of engineers or a group of lawyers who are going to be very pedantic about the rules and as opposed to a group of creatives who will want to embrace more artistic uh, expressions mm -hmm. if those things are allowed in the game. Those sound like valuable skills for any home DM to learn. Like That's the ability to adjust on the fly to the players. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm glad that I could take uh, my LARP and gaming knowledge and turn it into a job that pays, which is like the dream. That is the, <laughs> I was just going to say, hey, that's the dream, man. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on for a second here. D&D uh, &D Live 2020, you did Reality RP. 
where you were tasked with creating a, an interactive experience using social media, right? Can you mm-hmm. just share some insights from that? Like, what kind of challenges did you face? How did you overcome them? What did you learn from that experience? Um, yeah. So originally, I was hired to try to help design a LARP for Dungeons and Dragons. And that sounds like, whoa, what? I even visited the site that was supposed to be the site where that game was supposed to take place hmm. because uh, because they have this thing every year called D&D Live, and that allows uh, people to interact with the world. Uh, one of their most famous ones was in 2018 was Stream of Many Eyes, right. where they did a replica, where they built a replica of Waterdeep, and I saw grown men cry walking through it, and in my brain is like, this is LARP. I swear to you, this is LARP. And the timing of it, this was when I was flown to Seattle to discuss the parameters of how we were going to do this interaction. It was February 2020. Um, So two weeks later, when we we were told it was canceled, our brains were like, why are we canceling this for something that will only take a week? I had no idea or understanding of how bad COVID was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure many people did. No, not at all. And then a couple of weeks, and so the project was canceled. I'm like, oh, that's that's unfortunate. But then two weeks later, Greg Tito, who was a senior communications uh, guy over at uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, and specifically the D&D um, IP, contacted five of us and said, We've never tried this before, but can you make a virtual game um, that can involve people? Uh, and we were like, you know, we we don't know, but we're going to try. Mm-hmm. And so they brought five of us. There was me, um, Dave Harmon from Australia, Minket from UK, uh, Elisa Teague, and Sharang Biswas. So oh. there were the five of us. Um asking if we could make this virtual interactive game. And the thing that I remember us talking about uh, just as a joke, or like, do you know what is going to work because everyone's watching this? Reality TV. And at the time, those were our references. So the show, the game show, The Circle, was a perfect example of something that we can do because in The Circle, everyone is isolated. And we were also thinking of the mole. And so we kind of like combined those two things and created reality RP because it was based on reality TV. But we were also uh, including uh, Discord. This was Dungeons and Dragons' first foray into Discord. We were also using Instagram and Instagram Live and a custom website. Uh, So it was ambitious, very, very layered. Uh, My job was actually to deal with characters hiring the cast and getting them to interact in this online LARP, which also matched with elements in the D&D website that people could find out to figure out who the mole was. Um, when I began to cast, we had to figure out the central character and uh, named Prosperon. And uh, there might be a familiar figure you might know uh, named Mark Mir. <laughs> I know who, and so when uh, we were trying to figure out who would be the central game master figure for people to interact with the host, mm-hmm. um, we were trying to entertain any number of people. But the moment Mark came in and put on a beard and a wizard robe and uh, talked in this voice that just sounded old and just very charactery, um, I kind of looked at everyone at D&D and just kind of pushed him to the front. I'm like, I kind of want Mark. He, <laughs> like, without even asking, he just put on the character and everyone's like, this is great. Yeah, Mark's uh, incredible. Yeah, so we did that and uh, we had different personalities. Uh, we had B. Dave Walters, Xander Genre, Maud Garrett, um, Jordan Rakopoulos from Axes of, uh, of Anarchy from Australia. We had Rockham Sakura from Drag Race. Oh, that's cool. And that was just very cool. And I realized that I had cast eight of them until I realized, oh my God, I forgot to cast a straight white guy. Uh, I I need to have representation. I need to have at least one. (laughs) 
out of the 10. Mm. But it was kind of a funny, like, realization. Uh, casting Rock'em Sakura was also really cool because Brian, who was um, Rock'em Sakura, was so nervous. Like, he wanted to do such a good job. And so the way I had to work with him is was go, okay, let's do a few recordings, uh, you know, just you presenting your character and just trying to do a few different improv things. This is your intro. And then I went, okay, I got this. What if you thought this was a video dating site and you were trying to land yourself a man? And that's when it clicked. Uh, and this began to play out in the online LARP because... Uh, she decided to hit on Mark Muir's character, <laughs> and it was amazing. There were picture or videos because people were using Instagram Live, so they were able to interact with um, each other. But they were also able to interact with the audience by leaving comments, right? And so, and so there was this interaction that people were able to do with these LARPing characters. Basically, our cast was LARPing online. That is so cool. And uh, they were also, the killer was also killing off characters. Um, and as people were trying to figure out who the killer was. And it was this wonderful blend of interaction that I could not have done without the other game designers. Because it was just, there were a lot of things going on. And I was honored that they had me handle the characters and the um, videos, at mm -hmm. rank the videos. And um, and just allow them to develop those, those characters and play in that LARP and uh, and have everyone be in on it. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds like an amazing experience. I'm so jealous. <laughs> um, I I'm, question that comes to mind with something like that, where it's like cross-platform and and social media integrated in so many people. I, in your experience, from what you saw the process. Was there like a tight, strict narrative that was followed, like a storyline that had to be followed? Or was the player interaction make changes to the story along the way? How did the narrative adapt to what happened in the game? So there were structures that we had to create mm -hmm. um, before uh, before going into allowing the improv to happen. And this is like true of any improv situation where you want to give people the structure so they know where they're playing. This also meant... Um, we had to figure out the characters, how they related to each other. So a lot of the uh, performers already knew, already know how they were going to relate to each other. The, we had to cast the killer uh -huh. um, during the entire time, and they could not say anything. Uh -huh. They could reveal little hints, but they couldn't see anything. And, um, and when we had to kill people off, we had to ask the killer... Uh, they got the active hand of who they want to eliminate. Oh, that's cool. So there was that level of agency mm -hmm. in this game. When it when it came down to the final four people, then we had this uh, broadcast uh, where people had to guess which of these four people did the killing. And spoiler alert, because like this was a long time ago, uh, it was a character played by uh, my friend Christina Ariel, and you know who's like the host of Star Wars, and mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing. And so when it was found out that she was revealed to have been the killer, she gave this villainous speech that left all of us floored. I was like, oh my god, I picked the right person mm -hmm. to play the killer, and she told me afterwards. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to have that reality villain moment because I just got to give a speech and it got to be angry and invective and uh, just watching her just shine in that part. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> that's, are people do like, is, is that something that other people have done since then? Like I, that's not something that sounds familiar and it sounds amazing. So People have not done it since, and it's partly because the structure is very complicated. It requires a number of people to see the moving parts, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know all of the moving parts. I'm one of the designers and I don't know all the moving parts, but we know the overall general structure of how this was going to work. And we wanted, we would have loved to do another version of this, but uh, Wizards of the Coast changed directions um, at that point. Um, and, but the fact that we even got to run it at all and how complex the system is, um, if I had the opportunity to do this again, I would be fully on board. Yeah. It, it, taking that concept and doing something modern, like an urban gods or a vampire or a, a mage thing or a cyberpunk thing or a netrunner thing where the the medium becomes part of the story, that would be mm-hmm. cool. As opposed yeah. to a fantasy thing that's streamed, but actually integrate the social media aspects as part of the hacking or whatever, that'd be cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's one thing that I feel like I wish they did more in actual place. Uh, I feel like these days people think that audiences um, only want to watch these people who are mini celebs like interact. And I feel like we are missing that interaction part uh, in Twitch and in YouTube. The thing that makes it so integrated, that makes it so interesting uh, because people have this uh, weird concept that in a way TTRPG is almost like mini Hollywood and uh, it's weird being in LA and recognizing that Mm -hmm. Uh, but I always want to push the interaction because what I don't want is watching this and thinking why am I not playing D&D myself for three hours what Mm -hmm. makes this important what makes this special how do I become involved with this and people uh, uh, I would love for people to learn that interaction more, but it's also very difficult. There's not a lot of places where you can learn that. There's also not a lot of companies that are open to that. So finding those few places are very few or between. I wish there were more, but when they do happen, they are very special. Right. Okay. Well, it's, uh, we're chewing up time here, so let's move a little bit. Um mm-hmm. You have some more experiences I'd really like to like, hear about and learn from. So let's uh, hit the Master Ceremonies thing you did for uh, Zach Eubanks. Council of the Gods episode, am I right? Yeah, Council of the Gods. Um, there were 50 internet personalities. Is that How did you manage yeah. that? How did you keep an order and facilitate? I mean, running a game with six people is hard enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was, in my brain, a huge moment in TTRPGs uh, because... You know, you you didn't have just people in the TTRPG world that were there. So you had Abria Iyengar, uh, Persephoroth, McKee McCarty, Critical Bard, Omega Jones, um, Josephine McAdams. So you had people in the TTRPG world. But you also had Markiplier, Crank Games Plays, Bose, Atomic Mari, Freddie Wong, Troy Baker. And somehow I am the master of ceremonies. And I'm like, oh, my God, my imposter syndrome. Oh, oh my God. Why me? Why me? And so what I found out is, you know, Zach um, and Malika are familiar with uh, a game that I ran called Blank Slate, which was a LARP actual play. Mm -hmm. And I found out from Zach and Malika and Knox Burf from, um, you know, who works at Hunters and uh, Scabby Rooster. And they all said there wasn't anybody else but you who could do this live, have a script in your hand, and then have a headset on while production is talking to you to keep the pace. And I honestly did not think that uh, I was one of very few people who could do that. I thought there was, there was got to be other people who did this. And they said, no, just honestly, just you. And so, uh, so the only ways I had to think about this is like, okay, um, uh, Abria um, came up to me and said, hey, you know, there are these people who are only going to be on for a minute, and I want to just emphasize to you to please give them a chance to, uh, to shine. And I said, no, I absolutely understand. If you're a personality, I need you to play your part in whatever you say. However, there are 50 of them. And so originally they were going to just have a list of memorize your spot in place. And I'm like, uh, okay, I know how these things run. And I went, hey, everybody, what if I said, uh, 
Now, voting. God of life, please come to the podium. God of death, you are on deck. And this way, they didn't have to memorize where they were. They just had to pay attention to the uh, uh, to when they were called. And then after they gave their vote and their vote tallied, then I would say, God of life voted yay. God of death, you are now called. And then just continue that um, pattern. Um, it is not my job to be the star. I was the focus, but I was not the star. It was to be the host and allow them that opportunity to shine. So therefore, I just need to maintain order. Now, if they start rambling and not sure what to do, then I just bring them back to, so, God of chaos, how do you vote? Mm -hmm. And that is all that I needed to do. So it was a thing that I was very proud of. And people may not remember me much, and that's fine. But people did remember that uh, that I had scenes with Markiplier. And I'm like, that, okay, I have scenes with Markiplier. Okay. <laughs> Someone who I've been watching for years, who has 35 million followers on YouTube, and I have to role play with this person. And I remember five minutes before we went live, I went up to Mark and I said, I have watched you for years and I admit that I am nervous. And he said, I got you. Hmm. Let's, yeah, it was very cool. He said, I'll come up with some funny bits. And I said, I'll come in with some jokes. And then he said, then we'll just play off of each other. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that's what we'll do. And if we get lost, I have the script in my clipboard. How'd it go? It uh, it went very, very well. When it was done, it was the biggest achievement that I've ever done in roleplay. That's a big one. Yeah. To do it live in front of 10,000 people. Oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> it really was big, big one. <laughs> it was big. <laughs> Despite the size of it, though, there are some lessons there that are applicable even to the home game, and that is make sure you give everybody a chance to shine, but keep the pace. Absolutely. Like, you need to open a Ryan Omega school for experience design and hosting. The funny part was uh, one of my friends, um, Alexander Brazzi, um, I believe he was the chief designer for, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to hate myself if I get this wrong, I think he was the chief designer behind uh, World of Warcraft. Um, like just invited me a couple of days ago for me to write a guest article for um, their academy. And half of the time, whenever people invite me, there was always that imposter syndrome. It's like, why me? Oh my God. And weirdly enough, it was writing this list of game experiences for you that caused me to realize, oh, oh crap, I actually did do a lot. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. All right, cool. I, I think I am qualified to be able to write on the subject. <laughs> I think it kind of harkens back to what you said about how you're there to facilitate and not take the center stage so that you can allow the players and the people and be in front of you and take the spotlight, but you're always there. You've been part of all these things, but you haven't, like, you're not the spotlight guy who's grabbing the spotlight. You're, like, making things happen so everybody has a good time and everybody gets their time in the light. And So that's, I mean, that's a super important role, but you need to stop and recognize, holy shit, look at all the stuff I did. <laughs> I am getting better at it, like for sure. And I help at least uh, try to help people with the same issue uh, get like over that feeling. Uh, oh, I'm going back to Council of the Gods a little bit. Mm -hmm. I do remember being in the dressing room with uh, Atomic Mari and Eret. So again, huge internet personalities. Like Eret had like already a million followers on X. And I'm sitting there and I said, I'm trying to get my imposter syndrome to shut up. And they both said at the same time, I also have imposter syndrome. And we all talked about it in the makeup room, getting our makeup done for the next 15 minutes. And it was nice to know that I wasn't alone. And we were able to talk about it. Like pretty much almost every creative I know like has this yep. feeling especially in entertainment because there's so much need for people think it's validation, but it's really reciprocation. We don't, we need that as people. Right. And so when you're a performer and especially when you're performing 
in a space that there's no other people and there's no uh, surety of them responding to you, it is hard. I hear that. You're right. It's it's universal to creatives, though. the whole imposter syndrome syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. I hear it from game designers, comic book writers, filmmakers. It's universal. Then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Get yourself out there. Yeah, that's that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Next project I want to talk about: Four Empires. Uh, you were designing and running a quest game at various anime conventions. Mm-hmm. What was that like? How did you? pull together the hundreds of participants involved there and and make that experience good for everybody. So a friend of mine, Elvin Soleta, who uh, owns like uh, many of these conventions, so Anime Pasadena, Anime Riverside, Anime Las Vegas, um, had contacted me uh, a month before um, Anime Pasadena at one point and said, I have this thing that I want to run, but I have no idea how to run it, but you've designed interactions before, so I didn't know who to ask, but would you be down to try to figure out something? And I went, okay. And then I realized trying to identify this this IP and trying to identify interaction, we realized that one of the reasons why Elvin wanted to make something like this was because when people come to a convention space, some people get very overwhelmed and are not sure where to start first. Mm-hmm. Um, you have thousands of people. What do I do? And some people don't want to even come because the idea of trying to figure out how to interact is overwhelming. So if there was an activity that allowed them to explore the different things and also make a game out of it, it was just easier to approach. So there were two levels of play that I had to uh, design. So when I talked about the scavenger hunt, or scavenger hunt earlier, mm-hmm. so I just had people like go on quests. So one of them is take a picture of uh, an anime character or video game character um, from the 1990s. Um, take a picture of two people in gender bend cosplay. Take a picture of an inflatable thing, uh, inflatable uh, anime character. And then there were also videos, uh, video, uh, videotapes someone doing a Naruto run. Um, it interviews someone as if you were a part of a news network, how they made their costume or how they made their prop. So that also allowed people who were doing cosplay and making props feel validated to know that someone wanted to know how they made their creation. And in exchange for them doing a few of these quests, they would get a physical sticker of a troop that goes onto a risk-type map. Mm-hmm. So that shows that they did the work. The second level of interaction was them realizing when they choose among the four empires, which loyalty they pledge to, it's realizing, oh, these troops are close to this city, and when the big game is about to happen, they're going to attack. So the second level of interaction was them socializing and figure out as a group, wait, so how do we ensure that we win? Do we want to team up with this other empire and declare a truce and just go after this one empire who has more troops than any other? So there were just different levels of interaction and different things that I just didn't expect as a result of designing this game. I was not expecting people to have so much pride in their particular empire that they came the next day dressed in their empire colors and also trying to recruit other people to get more troops onto the board. Well done. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, the Labyrinth of Jareth, uh, the Masquerade Ball, I've heard about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you were involved there and. There was a post office interaction system you created for that. Am I right here? Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me about that. Um, where did it come from? What was it? And how did it enhance the overall experience? I'm I'm really curious on this. So Labyrinth of Jareth Masquerade Ball um, is this big, gorgeous ball that's based off of the movie Labyrinth, that particular like masquerade scene. And it's been going on for more than a couple of decades. And... I used to be the line producer for uh, 
for that event. So, and and one of the writers, and um, and it's a, a very beautiful um, experience. So it had like elves and fairies and just people called it nerd prom. And every and you were required to dress up in at least uh, you know black tie or a costume. And most people went in costume. When my sibling went to the event, because I got them a ticket, and they left after two hours, and I was like, oh, why? And they said, it's because after I see the performances and people in costumes, and there's music, there was nothing else for me to do, unless you were just taking pictures. And my brain went, okay, wait, wait. Uh, But my sibling is also a LARPer, and I'm like, I need to make some kind of interaction happen because there needs a there needs to be a way to make this more immersive rather than just pretty. So I thought, what if I made a small little thing called a post office? All you are doing is delivering messages to the various characters. So you are delivering this message to a goblin and asking them, what is your opinion about the elves? They go with a piece of paper, and the pieces of paper are not computer printed. I remember, and my, and my team hand wrote these messages because that personal um, touch made it feel more real. They we went gave them a golf pencil if they didn't have the pen of their own. They went and report, uh, wrote whatever the character said. They came back and then reported to us what they uh what they said which gave us a little bit more information and lore for people to play with some people would go wait can i interview an elf based on what they want to say and it's like that is up to you so it started to spur more and more interactions Mm -hmm. as a result of that and all they were doing is just delivering messages but what was great was i think some people used that to form their experience one person said that they wanted to come in dressed as Sarah from Labyrinth and deliver these messages, and it made her entire weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's because there was a disconnect between the performers and the audience, and it just needed that bridge to show that I'm playing too, and I had an accessible way to play that mattered to the performers. And the performers loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, now they were able to have to come up with backstories and then they have to come up with reasons for things. However, they also need to be on time for their stage performances. <laughs> so that's on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was kind of a, a amazing thing. I want to point out one particular uh, experience. So Erika Ishii, like well-known uh, TTRPG player um, involved in several things. Uh, they were a part of uh, Labyrinth as a goblin the first year, and then um, and then playing Puck, the character of Puck. I was playing a character called the Viscount, and I remember that someone got me a cake, um, just randomly because I had a team of post office people, and they were just so appreciative, like playing this world that they decided they're going to get me a cake that said Viscount on it. So. Erica, being the goblin that they are, looked at looked at me and said, "I want cake." And I said, "You know, you can have cake." And they and they said, "I want to put my face in it." I'm like, "Uh, uh um." And then before they were running toward the cake, and then people literally had to grab them away and pull them away from the cake. It's like, "No, I want cake," and I'm just like standing there going. It's chocolate. <laughs> and so just like we had like many interactions that were uh, happening through all of that. Uh, and it was kind of fun. Pretty special. What a great way to take what's already a beautiful event and make it into something, something extra. Where did the idea come from? Like that's such a simple mechanic that has such a strong impact. Where did, where did it, where did the idea come from? It just came from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Over here. I, I, 
I, I just kind of thought that uh, what's an easy way for people to just interact? And I kind of thought correspondence, sending messages, mm-hmm. sending messages was just an easy way to interact with people without having to create a game mechanic. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the so that's what I just kind of thought of. And then it just ended up accidentally providing more lore. And there were people who came to the event um, and it was also meant to be like a very private thing. It was not heavily advertised because I didn't know, we didn't have the uh, the equipment to deal with thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people had to discover that experience. But over time, people were like, what are you doing? And it just naturally caught on. And even though I'm not involved with Labyrinth anymore, I am very honored that there is still a postmaster or postmistress that still makes sure that these games run. That's a legacy right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's one more uh, thing you've done in the past I want to touch on. We're getting low on time here, so I'm going to move us along. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, you mentioned it before, Boardroom Armageddon. Uh, online game series based on the idea of corporations of heaven and hell. Where did you come up with that original rule set? Uh, what were some of the key elements involved in engaging gameplay there and the narrative progression kind of thing? Just take me through that that system. So want to give credit to Margot Gray's um, Are You There, God? It's the quarterly earnings report because that's what this game was based off of. It was meant to be a one-shot. When I was running my channel on Life Action Roleplay, we were trying to show off games they could play on Zoom uh, because we were all trapped because of the pandemic. And so this was one of the ones that I looked at and I thought, this is interesting because it's literally based off of a Zoom game. And so I got some of my TTRPG um, players and some of my LARPers to play these various people on a conference call um, in heaven. Mm-hmm. And when we were done, they were like, I want to... Uh, I can't wait until the next episode. And I'm like, I was not planning to do a second episode. I guess I need to design something that is going to work. And so I started off with boardroom angels. And then I realized there needed to be some conflict. So I created a separate show called boardroom devils. And then I realized there's no way for them to interact. So I had to create a third show called purgatory cafe, which was the cafe in Los Angeles, where angels and demons could agree to meet. However, there are also humans, so do not screw that up. And some of the main interactions are based off of uh, uh, improv theater. Mm-hmm. So basically, the way I would do it is uh, you would have these people um, set into a scene, and, the scene, and there would be a timer for three minutes. Wherever that three minutes ends... Um, a bell would ring and that scene would stop. However, I created uh, what we call the coffee mechanic. And that is every player has a coffee and people from Twitch could give them more coffees. Coffees did one of three things. One is that if a player really wanted to extend the scene, they could spend a coffee to add two more minutes to the scene. They could spend a coffee to bust into a scene to be included if there was something really interesting or juicy going on. They could also spend a coffee to lock people out of a scene so that no one can join and no one can take any information for the scene so as if they were uh, talking in secret. Clever mechanic. Yeah, so it's a mechanic that I invented in order to make sure that uh, the game was dynamic and people were uh, from the audience could contribute in a way that was able to help the players. So, you know, basically my version of a re-roll but adapted to Zoom. Because you had to. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, we're going to start wrapping up kind of here, start wandering towards the end anyways. So before we move out of the craft stuff, I'm curious. If you could reach back through time and give some advice to young Ryan, what kind of advice would you give to an aspiring narrative or experienced designer, to the young Ryan? Um, Learn everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. Learn everything. Well, okay. So the interesting about experience design and cross-platform is that it's so new that no one is really such an expert that they can't learn something from someone else because uh, also technology changes, social interaction changes, especially post-pandemic. 
So you want to absorb all the knowledges, all the skills, because there's no piece of knowledge that is useless in cross-platforming. But just don't forget that your ultimate goal is reaching the audience, no matter how interesting your mechanics are. Your audience needs to be able to interact with the piece. I don't care if this thing is interesting and no one's ever tried it before. Does the audience care? Does the audience, can the audience interact with it is your first priority. Right on. You mentioned technology makes me want to uh, dip our toes in the rabbit hole for just a second. What do you think stuff like AR, VR, you know, someday having contact lenses that could put an AR overlay on your actual vision integrating games into actual life in that fashion. What do you think that's going to be like? I think it's not going to work unless you have an experienced designer that understands what makes it valuable and not a gimmick. Oh, I love that answer. I love that. Yeah, but people need to understand a good quality game experience is not something that just happens when you throw a bunch of stuff together. No, like uh, I have uh, a MetaQuest and... I was thinking that I was going to interact with it a whole lot more. It is currently packed away <laughs> because it didn't provide the type of interaction that I needed. The closest, I will admit, was Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Iron Man did a wonderful job of integrating you as uh, Tony Stark by creating a platform, a narrative platform that gave you what it was like to be Tony Stark um, having to develop all of these things, people coming after you, even if you try to like put away your war technology. And it was like, this is really good storytelling um, from that point of view experience from inside the Iron Man suit. Like that was, it's very well done. We're going to check that one out. Okay. We have come to the part of the show where I ask the question that's at the core of this whole thing. And that is, in my opinion, there's this magical space where performers and writers and comic book creators and game designers all these people can come together and just hang out be themselves if you agree with me in your opinion what is the magic thread that holds us all together so when i thought about this i thought of claude debussy's quote so claude debussy who did like claire de Lune, like that song that goes da 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 okay yeah, yeah. and they said Music is a space between the notes. And for me, game is the space between the rules. That space is also the same connection that allows me to connect to other people, other players. It's also the same space between me and a piece of art made by someone that's just a long time gone. It is more than a circle of trust, a sacred circle that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It is a line of connection. And when you take all of these lines, it forms a web that informs the human experience. How much I could add to that. That's, yeah, very concise. All right. Um, before we start heading out the door here, I'd like to do what I call the quick fire round, where I just ask you some quick questions, top of the head answer, don't think too hard about them. Okay. What What are you currently playing? I'm currently playing Children of Morda on uh, Nintendo Switch. Nice. What are you reading? So I'm reading uh, currently a set of game rules for my project over at Hunter's Entertainment. So I'm editing a set of game rules for something that's in development right now. Can't talk right. about it, but that is most of my reading right now. Very cool. Um... What is the best advice you've ever received? This can be career advice or it could be life advice. It is the most contrary and counterintuitive advice I've ever received, but it's been very true. It's easier to do six projects at a time than two. Hmm. The reason why, yes. The, so the reason why is because if you are working on multiple projects, if a project fails, you don't have time to dwell on that failure. You just pivot to a different project. It also means that if something doesn't work, you are not hung up on thinking, I'm a failure. It's like, no, this project didn't work. Let me put my energy into these other things. Also, sometimes you might find a resource that may not work for this one project, but it'll work for that one. Or you might find a person that won't work on a particular show, but there is another show they're perfect for. So it keeps you moving 
And it also makes sure that you never get stuck into a brain drain of thinking that you have failed. You have not failed. The project did. Nice. How many projects do you have on the go right now? About six. (laughs) (laughs) Or so. Or so. (laughs) People think that I just have this, uh, I'm always busy and it always looks like I am. And I am, but I always say, I also have a calendar. I can do your thing. Just let me know in advance. Right. I have six minus however many projects you have for me. (laughs) All right. Um, Last question. Promise. If you could host a game session with only four people, but from any time in history, living or dead, who would you play with and what would you play? All right. Four people I would pick. Jesus. Confucius. Cleopatra. William Shakespeare. This is the game that I would play with them. I would run a game gem. I would say, this is a bag of stuff that I have here. Tchotchkes, dice, random things. I actually did this at Big Bad Con. And here are your parameters. I need this to have a game that involves three dice, three different dice. It needs to be have a gambling mechanic. It needs to involve three items in here that are not dice. You have 30 minutes to design me a game, and I literally dump the bag of random things, and I say, your time starts now. I want to see what they make in 30 minutes as a game. Somebody needs to write fan fiction for that incident. (laughs) I want to know what happens. Yeah, same. (laughs) Wow. Tag tag it at me if if you ever make... That kind of fan fiction. <laughs> I, yeah, my wheels are already spinning. Wow, that would be. <laughs> imagine Shakespeare writing a rule book, That's... and then Cleopatra having strategy, oh. and then Confucius uh, being very stickler about the rules, and then Jesus goes, "Okay, let's chill a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> let's just bring the energy down in the room." Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> That's great. We're too competitive here. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a fantastic answer. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Before we go, mm-hmm. do you have anything going on that you want to promote, boost, talk about, somewhere stuff people need to check out? So uh, I'm currently a project manager on Hunter's Entertainment. So some of the stuff uh, is going to be posted on there. But I also run a YouTube show called Geek Public. And the idea is the centralization of um, geek information kind of presented in a podcast form, but also with some level of personalities. Uh, I would love if people could follow me there, Mm -hmm. um, if not on my social medias on X and on Instagram. But I'm always looking to figure out um, that intersection between geek knowledge and um, fun. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that kind of like podcasting type of nerdiness we're all going to come over and check it out and subscribe okay so now before we head out the door do you have any parting words of wisdom i'd love to give you the last word uh so as i mentioned to you before until i wrote down everything that i did in gaming i literally did not know how much i actually did and i always think oh my god how did i get so lucky and i realized after looking at that list I worked to get here. And I want to say that if you are any kind of creative, you must understand that luck gets you opportunity, but work is what's going to get you through those doors. Continue to work and people will see it. I guarantee you. May not be many now, but keep working. As we draw the curtains on another evening's conversation, I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to Ryan Omega for sharing his insights and experiences. And thank you, dear listener, for taking a seat at the table and joining us. If you had a good time today, please, scribe a review, share the tale with your party, and cast that subscribe spell on your way out. If you had a good time today, please, subs- If you had a good time today, please, scribe a review, tell your party, and hey, 
Cast a sub subscribe spell. If you had a good time today, please, scribe a review, tell your party, and hit the subscribe button on the way out. Until next time, may your stories be bold, your games immersive, and your creativity boundless. Stay safe, Wanderer. Your chair will be ready by the fire the next time you stop by the corner of Story and Game. <laughs>